0: I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct.
1: What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And I'm excited about today's pod, guys. We're going to delve into a bit of Austin's weaknesses. And that's something that this tournament, this FIBA uh, tournament, was a great opportunity to kind of zero in on him as a player, and that we're going to give him a disproportionate amount of our attention because he's a Laker. And we talked before the tournament that him playing in a Steve Kerr scheme was going to be really informative about Austin as a defensive player because he likes to switch a lot. This was a smaller group. And there were certainly some wins in that respect, too, that I think it's important to get lost in his broader discussion. He was also the target of a lot of opponents' game plans, especially down the stretch. And so in today's pod, we're going to talk a little bit about how teams target him and what the Lakers have to kind of counter that, both in terms of lineups and scheme. Mike, you wrote a wonderful recap of his run, a review of his run in Manila. Let's start with that, man. Let's put Austin's run in context.
2: Well, first of all, Pete, all I really heard Right there in those last uh, that last minute or so was you calling Austin him like four or five times? <laughs> did you, did you pick up on that as <laughs> <laughs> just, just well, Darius? Just literally, he is him. Just, yeah, well, just he, literally he's, he's, his, just, his
1: his himness. So his himness has emerged so so thoroughly that you know it's it's it can't help but be, be acknowledged even by our subconscious because that was not yeah, intentional exactly. at just, all. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what I heard, and that's just that's
2: how it was related to me. I so so looking through you know, what was eight games for Team USA uh, in the tournament. And I just went through, and if you want to check out the article, you can, but just kind of figuring out his ranks within Team USA. And so it's third in minutes, second in points, fourth in assists, second in steals, fourth in efficiency, which is this kind of complicated formula, but it's basically the good stuff minus the bad stuff divided by games played. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so he was fourth on the team there. Sixth in field goal percentage, but for a guard, he shot 57%. Uh, pretty good. He was 30, he was 50% from three and then 94.9% at the free throw line. That was second only to Brunson. And he also led the team in free throw attempts. So going into the tournament, as we discussed Austin's place on the roster, it was somewhat analogous to how we would have described Austin heading into the Lakers season where Mm -hmm. he's better than some of the guys ahead of him, but he's going to have to show that. And guess what? I think it's going to, I think it's going to happen because Steve Kerr is just not going to be able to resist. And that's what happened, right? He ends up being, uh, as I said, third in minutes uh, uh, for a team of guys that had, even though it was a younger group, still more accolades, more experience than Austin. So overall, just a, a, the point was a big success. Now, it didn't It didn't happen, I think, until, was it the Montenegro game or the Lithuania game where Austin started to get targeted a little bit on those switches? Mm-hmm. And then that became kind of like a talking point. Uh, and I, so I get that. My... My counter, or at least while I'm watching that, and this is where I want to kick it to you guys, there aren't many guards in the NBA who can really hold up great on a switch when a team is switching every position. And like on this team, Brunson, Halliburton, maybe the only guard that got a lot of playing time that could hold up okay there would would be Anthony Edwards, Mm -hmm. who was one of the greatest athletes in the world um, and built like a linebacker. And, and so teams are probably not going to do that as much to him. Same thing if you look around the league, how many guards are there that are going to have that – that you're not going to mind being switched over to bigs. So I don't, I don't end up being as concerned with something like that because I think that's just sort of part of what the league is. And in the NBA, especially if you have Anthony Davis on your team, you don't find yourself in those situations as much. And if you do, you really just want that guy to compete and not be a traffic cone. And Austin does do that. Uh, he'll draw a couple charges, you know, he will at least keep his body in there and he'll force a contested shot. Um, But that's not going to stop Aaron Gordon, for example, from scoring. Uh, And and I don't know many guards in the league that can. So I'm not trying to dismiss this Darius as a concern at all. Of course, it's something that's true. You can post up a guy like Austin. I I just don't know that that's very different from Gabe Vincent or D'Angelo Russell or, you know, all kinds of different guards around the league.
3: Yeah. And I think that, There's a lot of nuance to me within the context of this conversation, not only the nuance that Mike brought to it in terms of guards in general and how well they hold up in switching schemes or the nature of today's NBA, which is more isolation-style basketball and how that plays into teams that want to target, quote-unquote, the weakest spot on the floor or seeking out entry points for an offense to try to attack. We talked about this a lot in the past, Pete, about how entry points don't always have to be on the ball. Mm-hmm. Frank Vogel's last season, where he did not have a lot of gifted defensive players, teams were targeting Carmelo Anthony a lot, but they were doing it off of the ball, mm-hmm. right? And it wasn't always like, oh, let's get this guy isolated on a switch up high against our best ball handler. It's like, oh, where is this guy's off ball weaknesses? And let's target him there as well. And teams are smart, they're savvy. They also try to attack off. Guys who are relied upon to do things offensively a fair amount in order to try to wear them down. There's like a lot of sure. conversation around this. Even if that guy's not the weakest defender on the court, they may want to make him work a little bit more. Right, Pete? This was
1: a huge storyline in the Golden State Series against Steph. We ran – and this is something that I love that this is a talking point right now because – what you saw versus Austin is something that happens around the league in every game. It is one of the foundational pieces about why teams attack, where they attack against a particular team in a particular game. The One of the central motivations, if not the first one, is, okay, who's the biggest weakness on the court? And we want to... that. That's why I describe them as kind of like that, that entry point, right? That place where this guy has the hardest chance of guarding that guy, and therefore you have to draw additional help, right? And so to Mike's point this happens to a whole bunch of guards and uh, even even a guy like Steph right who has so much of that offensive obligation that you're talking about be like okay go guard Ronnie Walker possession after possession oh you're not on Lonnie on this play you're on Austin give the ball to Austin right which can or it can be an off-ball circumstance as well but there's all sorts of motivations to your point D of like why teams do this
3: yes and and so when thinking about Austin teams are going to continue to go at him not only because he might be one of the lesser, quote unquote, defenders, regardless of how hard he competes on that end, they think that there are certain places where they can gain advantage against him. But as Austin's reputation grows, and as Mike was saying, oh, here's the guy who he just happens to be One of their more important offensive players like look at him. He's 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 scoring points. He's assisting. He's one of their leaders in minutes played. He's Mm. a crunch time player. Wouldn't it be good if we fouled this guy out potentially? So as his reputation grows as an integral offensive player for the Lakers, Teams are going to try to attack him from the perspective of, well, wouldn't it be good if Austin Reeves got two fouls Mm -hmm. very early in the game so that he could end up on the bench instead? Like there's those factors as well. And so it's not always about what he can and can't do. It's about trying to like, oh, okay, well, he picked up a. Early ticky-tack foul, like we're gonna go at him four or five possessions in a row, even if that's not our best offensive option, just to see if we can get him out of the game. And there's a lot of contextual stuff to discuss here.
1: And there's you can get a lot of wins that way of you know, a guy gets two early fouls in the first quarter and all of a sudden they're they're benched for, you know, a significant portion of the game. And you know, a game can flip in in that way. And so that's one of the, there are many motivations to do this. Mike, I think to be very specific about what is it about Austin that teams are targeting, it's specifically his strength and then his speed. There were three plays that uh, over the course of this pod, I wanna zero in on. The first one uh, against Lithuania, I believe it was Kuzminskis in the post and who's a lefty, like 6'8", six, 6'9", six, type of guy. And he drop step baseline on Austin and spun off of Austin and got an and one on that. Now, when that's that to me is the area where where his strength gets targeted, right? And so when you are a lot smaller than somebody else in the post, you have to kind of lean on them to not give up ground, or else they're just going to back you down, right? And what that does is picture you're like leaning up against a wall. Imagine the wall were to suddenly disappear. What would ha- what would you do? You would fall forward, right? And so that's what happens. The more you have to lean on a guy, the more that if he can spin off of you, Mike, he's gonna you're gonna fall forward and you're gonna be a step behind. And that was something that earlier in the tournament when the the Team USA was playing lesser teams, their bigs or the guys that were trying to post Austin up didn't quite have the ball handling to make that initial move to kind of spin off of him. And he was getting a lot of strips down low. And this is a place that he he will still get wins like that in the NBA. He will stay in front of a guy, like you said, Mike, and he will get a strip down low. And if they don't have that requisite ball handling. I think you can get away with it. It's when you start getting to the guys that have that little drop step and are comfortable dribbling off of a spin, which a lot of big guys are not, that Austin starts to get in trouble. And so let's start there in that Lithuania game that when Austin gets targeted uh, via strength, what do you see?
2: Yeah, I guess just the obvious that Austin's not going to be as strong as nearly any big, uh, certainly any any guy that's got a bunch, of post, a bunch of stuff in his bag from a post-up standpoint. So I look at it almost in the inverse of how many of those guys then are going to be able to guard Austin out on the perimeter on the other end, and it's kind of a similar answer. So that's what the whole concept of team defense is about, and that's where I think that the scheme comes into play. And in the case of Team USA, Jaron Jackson Jr. was supposed to be the guy that not eliminated a lot of these actions by being there on the weak side for his guards, but he wasn't able to stay on the floor much. Uh, And when he did, he was just not as successful Um, as he was in the nba postseason and so not to point this right back to anthony davis but that's a it's a luxury that all of the laker players have that this guy is lurking out there and sure if you want to if you want to operate a but try to get a a guy switched over that's fine but you can always just pull anthony davis over from the weak side and then rotate uh and to me it's not like austin's not going to get he's going to get stronger um kind of like what's a good example of this Maybe Steph Curry from Steph's rookie year Mm -hmm. to where Steph is was in year 10, Mm -hmm. where he's just going to make it hard enough to give your your team defense time to rotate over as as opposed to being just that immediate blow-by. Because I don't know that Austin is going to get strong enough from right now until this season to really do much differently. All he can do is compete and the Lakers can try to scheme around it, just like they'd have to do, again, for Russell, Um, just like they'd have to do for most other guards. But uh, there are some guards that, like Max Christie, now he's not, Max is about 200 pounds now. Maybe maybe, maybe Max has put on another 10 pounds of muscle like he did mm-hmm. last year, uh, and he's up more from there. So Max is going to be able to potentially hold up better um, than Austin in those situations. But, you know, is he going to give you as much on offense to the point that you're having Austin off the floor? No. So that, to me, it, it just comes back to scheme.
3: Let's go to break here, actually, because I do want to talk a little bit more about Austin and switching and just... This- Unravel the onion a little bit more.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
3: So, Pete, you bring up a good point about the switching, and I really like Mike's comments around the idea of general help and what your scheme allows you to do. I I think one of the themes that I'm going to keep coming back to around Austin's defense and being targeted, particularly within the context of FIBA, was the scheme. The Lakers have traditionally not been a switch-everything team. In fact, Darvin has not liked to switch very much at all. He will do it late in possessions, or he will throw it in as as a wrinkle. But Darvin's defense coming from the school of Budenholzer has been pretty vanilla. It's been drop coverages. Um, he's even worked drop coverages when he has no traditional big on the court. It's just like there's LeBron in a drop coverage with Rui lurking backside. It's like there's still a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. There is a building block mentality around that, Pete, that that I think is important. But Austin is going to need to switch every once in a while. But I think part of protecting him from those situations is that the Lakers are not off, very often going to switch big little like that. And so I wanted to maybe transition to maybe a different play type. And maybe this is one of the plays that is in your list. But what was happening towards the end of the Germany game is that they were using guard to guard screens mm-hmm. with Austin and they were putting Austin in ball screen actions where he was getting switched on to Dennis Schroeder. And then Dennis was trying to use his speed. And so you talked about Austin strength deficiency being a potential issue. I think that will be less of a thing mm-hmm. during the NBA regular season, unless it's like unless it's a guard to guard switch and he gets put onto like a bigger sort of bruiser wing. But I'm more about okay, well, they're going to start to target him and try to put him on the shiftier types, the ball handler types. And so how do you see that playing out? And and is that even more of a concern for you than the strength stuff with the post and the big guy and all of that that we discussed before? Yeah, it's
1: a great question. I'm actually, it's the strength uh, concerns me a little more than the foot speed does. And I love that this play happened against Dennis because we're so familiar with Dennis's game that it's super yes. informative, right? And so Dennis, I, I love me some Dennis man. Congratulations to him in Germany. Good luck in Toronto. Just like I'm, I'm gonna be a, a Dennis Schroeder fan going forward. I just love what, what he's about. And he's a super unique player in that he's both he's small He's not a very good passer and he can't really shoot. And somehow he's still a a scoring threat to a credible degree, right? (laughs) And and a big part of that is that he has a turbo button that is really impressive. And like the deception in Dennis's game happens before he hits the turbo button. I will miss the very Dennis moves that only Dennis makes in the NBA. So, for example, the one where he tries to hit the turbo button, right, and he's driving left and they cut him off on the baseline and he pulls it back or he pretends like he's going to pull it back. And if you relaxed between that moment, you cut off Dennis and he pulled it back. He's going to cross back over left again and hit the turbo button again. And he, he gets to the bucket all the time on this type of move. But his speed is a really formidable tool. And so... That one, to me, D, is very much like within the scheme. Think about it. The Team USA is small. I believe Jackson was on the floor on those possessions. So you do have rim protection back there. But do I want to lose on a Dennis Schroeder attack to the basket, or do I want to lose on a Dennis Schroeder step-back jumper? There's a certain degree of Austin, Austin's job is to execute the scheme. And if the scheme is do not get beat off of the dribble, make him beat you with a jump shot, he did that. Now, with the caveat that if you watch that play, he's turning and running, right? And Dennis knows the tools to use as a speed guard, meaning that whenever you see a guy turn and run on defense, you got him. And so Dennis stops right right as, as uh, Austin starts to turn and run. And Austin has to take a little extra hop before he can stop his momentum. And so by the time... Dennis has stepped back. He's created so much space that Dennis is actually an okay jump shooter, Mike, when he's got a little bit of time to, you know, get into his shooting stroke. And that amount of separation that he was able to create right there got him to that place where Austin was nowhere close. And that is a place where Austin needs to get better. It's really in that extra hop that can you just still get a, a good contest up that's, you know, decent and you live with the results. I'm trying
2: to relate what you're saying here to what just happened in the Laker postseason season and what is likely to happen next year. If there's any new information and sort of what the players around Austin relative to team USA and the Lakers are going to impact that. So let me just kick that right back to you, Pete. Uh, what is the, what is the context that you think the, whatever was learned if by the NBA mm-hmm. community watching this uh, could be applied against Austin uh, in the Lakers that that can't be covered up by sort of personnel and and scheme and such.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think that I think it's going to be important to have a little bit of rim protection behind Austin. Like in simple English, I I think that him and AD's minutes should be married together to a, a, a large degree. I also think Austin and his, and AD's pick and roll on the other end is great. Like to me, when. LeBron goes to the bench and he's likely to go out around that six or seven minute mark. That's historically when he comes out, that to me is the Austin and AD AD show right there. And I think that, that having that weapon to deploy in Anthony Davis, I, now you don't want to send, ideally, you don't want AD to have to cover for Austin every game, right? And I want to point out too, that Austin is a very good chaser off of the ball. Like when he doesn't have to do this particular thing. He's actually really good at a few different things as a perimeter defender. So it's not like he's this awful defender that you have to hide. You just can't ask him to do everything.
3: The teams that concern me a little bit more when we're talking about this specific part of Austin's um, defensive toolbox are the teams with wing with multiple guards or multiple wings who are all individual shot creators and ball handlers. Mm -hmm. And so I'd look at a team like Dallas for, for example, say Austin is an off ball worker defending like Tim Hardaway Jr. in a lineup where Kyrie and he's in the lineup with, um, with Gabe Vincent. Right. And Dallas has on the court Kyrie and Tim Hardaway Jr. and green. Austin is on Hardway Jr. or he's on green and Gabe Vincent is on Kyrie. These are natural matchups. And what ends up happening is that rather than running like a Dwight Powell Kyrie ball screen to involve Anthony Davis, they run a guard to guard ball screen and they bring mm-hmm. Kyrie in like like into mm-hmm. a screen with. Whoever Austin is guarding. And now Austin is yep. now on Kyrie in 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 an isolation set. And it's like you don't have to hide Austin in the way that you might want to hide like a D'Angelo Russell or some of these other guards, even across the league, right? Where you're just like, this guy's not a very good defender at all. Mm-hmm. Austin has great utility as a chaser and navigating screens and, and all of this mm-hmm. other stuff. But put him on an island. And it's going to get trickier. And so most NBA teams now switch guard to guard screens because the idea is like, well, you're not going to get so much of an advantage Mm -hmm. when it's small on small and guards aren't used to navigating screens as well when they're set. It's like there's just more going on. They're not rim protectors, right? Like they can't run a deep drop and block a shot at the rim. Yeah. Yeah. Coming into this Laker season and what was learned and how teams might try to take advantage of this, that's where I see it most. It's mm-hmm. like, all right, we're going to scrap a certain part of our game plan offensively in this portion of the game in order to say, let's just involve Austin in ways where we try to get him onto our small, quickish shot creating guard just to see if that guy can get something going against Austin, wear him out a little bit, maybe draw a foul, but Mm -hmm. also just create a better shot without involving AD.
2: And so this comes right around to my general main concern is that once again, almost everything seems to be on Anthony Davis defensively. Mm -hmm. And there isn't another player that approximates that. And sure, Christian Wood can block some shots, but it's just a totally different type of defensive presence. Jackson Hayes is certainly unproven in trying to hold a big defensive role down um, as an individual defender. And I'm curious to see, like, I think there's some upside there. some things that Jackson Hayes can do, but you know, let's not, let's not compare him to Anthony Davis. So it's, this is where if I'm Denver or if I'm Phoenix scheming for a playoff series, uh, there are just, there are too many times that, uh, that, or, or anytime that AD isn't out there, there are things that I know that I can do. And then when he is, it's like, he has to do so much that then what what are the Lakers going to be able to actually expect from him offensively and to get to that, like if he doesn't score 30, then it's a topic on first take. Meanwhile, he's in every single defensive action uh, for the entire game because he has to be. So that's, I know that's not directly commenting back to Austin, but it's not just about Austin. It's about there, there are several other other players on this team that needs to be covered up for. uh, And maybe part of this answer is comes on the offensive end instead where you're just not maybe that the offensive efficiency goes up a little bit and the defensive efficiency goes down a little bit um i don't generally love that formula but that has seemed to be an nba trend the last couple of years and that's something that denver certainly showed and you know i just don't i don't have other other than that other than getting another Using some of the players that the Lakers have to make kind of a consolidation trade and getting another actual defensive presence and somebody that can help out on that end more, I'm not sure that there, there is an, a viable alternative other than just, hey, go ahead. Thanks AD, thanks for covering everything for us.
1: This is why I said all last year that AD was Atlas, Atlas being the mythical character that carried the world on his shoulders. He was that for our defense. Mike, everything you were saying right there was true last year even more. Our small forward was six foot two. I played high school lineups that have taller small forwards than a six two guy, right? Like we had lineups, like the half the rock. Was small in ways that just to keep our head above water, the fact that that we survived the first part of that s- season, so that we could get to the point where we could have the run that we did, AD was the backbone of all that. When AD went out, the fact
2: that Man. they survived, uh, and you know that was when LeBron had several games of like forty five points, and
1: that was offense. Our offense went way up yeah. in that stretch. Yeah,
2: they just they just sort of outscored teams a little bit more uh, and cobbled together some results defensively.
1: But the respectability of the Lakers' defense, not just not just respectability, they were like the number one defense for a long stretch, uh, it, and, and they were top five even before the trade deadline in that one little window where AD held it down. That's why I'm so frustrated that so few people apparently seem to notice how much the AD covered for everything. Yeah. Let's take a break here, come back, talk about Austin and AD and lineups in this whole context. So, D, this whole idea of AD kind of holding our defensive world up on his shoulders, when he's out of the game, we have that same problem in smaller doses. And then if he's out due to injury or for whatever other reason, I would argue that this is our biggest single point of failure on a really talented roster. We're going to have some big time defensive questions if AD gets hurt. And so this to me is part of the reason why I think marrying ADs or Austin's minutes to AD is important in that we're probably going to have lineups with LeBron and Wood at the four and five. And to me, you got to be really stout at the other three positions. If you have a guy like Austin who can be targeted in a couple of different ways, and I really want to emphasize this is true all over the league. Damian Lillard, a lot of the really good offensive players, Donovan Mitchell, they get targeted in a lot of the similar ways, although many of them have more foot speed than uh than Austin does. I digress I digress. Um I think putting another guy who you can target on the floor with LeBron and Wood as the back line is kind of a
3: formula for giving up a lot of points in those non-AD minutes. So
1: just wanted to start with
3: that idea. No, I certainly agree. And lineup construction is going to be a question and something that we're going to talk about a lot this season. Um it's already started in our text thread about how you're going to how coach ham is going to distribute these these minutes and pulling together lineup combinations there's a lot of talent on this roster mike um so much offensive talent especially finding the right defensive mix of of players though um i'm not saying that that's going to be more of a challenge but there is going to need to be i think um a little bit more deliberate like deliberate nature and and there's Mm going to need to be a certain discernment that happens in terms of constructing defensive lineups because there are so many different offensive combinations that can go together and will click together um i actually think wood in particular unlocks a fair amount of stuff for this team offensively, where his yep. offensive fit is so good yep. that um he's going to be an impactful player even without being a first or second or third option, um, just because of what his skill set is. But defensively, there's it's it's a bit more of a puzzle. And so I'll be interested to see how Coach Ham um what decisions he makes on that front because this team actually does have some defensive guards and wings that I think can hold up. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think of Max and I th- Prince, I think, is actually a pretty good defender. Um, I like how Gabe Vincent competes on that end of the floor. Obviously, Vando, um, Rui has some defensive utility, although I'm not yet convinced that him slimming down Mm -hmm. is going to increase his utility as a perimeter defender, and Mm -hmm. suddenly he's going to be this guy who you can put on the ball-handling wings of the world and say, hey, like you're going to hang out there. I still think his strengths are what his strengths are um so mike i kick that to you like how do you see some of those decisions being made because it's rare that we talk about protecting your bigs with your guards it's usually the opposite
2: i guess the example that comes up for me it goes back to these playoff series and this is why the team usa thing was interesting that the the further you get the the fewer guys can actually hang out of the court and mm-hmm. I didn't feel during any of those series that well the Austin's Austin's weaknesses or what we're talking about strength defensively. I never felt like these. This is this is such that you got to get him off the floor. And even in the Team USA, when watching those games, and even when the like when guys were trying to go at him, and particularly the Lithuania game, we just had the the big forward. I think he tried to um, pronounce his name earlier, and I don't want to get it wrong. Yeah, that's um, my bad. <laughs> no, I think you got it right. Yeah. Uh, I I just don't remember exactly how you say it. So <laughs> Kuzminskis. I, I wasn't thinking Kuzminskis. There you go. Um, I was thinking this is on this is on Austin. You know, I was thinking more like this is why are they continuing to to play this way and then having the answer nearby, which is well, they just got thrown together. They have no time together. Uh, they're switching the scheme in this kind of a context. They have it's not like they practiced it. Uh, really maybe they drilled it once or twice so just understanding the context of Team USA and a team that's basically never played together versus a team that's played together for many years and uh, the experience around it so the I point being I didn't have this major concern uh, in that context so I don't know that that answered Darius's question it's just I'm not going into this Lakers season super concerned about uh, about Austin in certain lineups that that he can't be out there uh, with and, and particularly due to the the other personnel that the Lakers have in the backcourt, not necessarily being much different um, in terms of guys that can also give you anything offensively.
3: Pete, I think Mike's points about familiarity and, and scheme compatibility are super important here. And so the Lakers for once are going to have some familiarity yeah. and, and some continuity as well with their scheme. Um, How do you feel? Where's your comfort level at around those two ideas and how they marry in terms of like where you think some of the defensive deficiencies on the roster might be, including what we've been talking about with Austin? By and large, we are a
1: tall team with length. Uh, and that has utility, right? Like even in our backcourt, Austin's 6'5", six 6'5", with a great wingspan, you know, uh, Torian Prince is tall and slender, Max Christie, same thing, Cam Reddish, Christian Wood, Anthony Davis, a lot of guys with a similar type of body, body type, right, at, at different positions. And I think that defensively the way you can use that is you can get some good contests right you got a lot of guys that can close close out to a three-point shooter um i think we've got decent mobility in terms of our bigs Uh, you know jackson hayes and christian wood again can move their feet a little bit um i think hayes can legitimately switch i think wood you know can do a little bit wood's one of those guys where like the hope is that that offensive fit is so good that it there's going to be weaknesses there defensively that said i think that And again, with all things going back to Anthony Davis, I'm with you, Mike, on that idea of there's no like, even in the context of Team USA, there's no like, oh, Austin has to not be in the game right now because of his deficiencies. Although Lithuania was the closest I got to that, and he he ended up fouling out of that game. But the... Anthony Davis allows a certain amount of like, oh, if, if this is a problem over here, AD can help you address it in ways that nobody else has access to that type of defensive tool. And so that's why it's more a lineup and personnel type of thing to me, where that continuity will allow a, a group of Austin, D'Lo, more and more talk about Rui starting at three, AD and LeBron. They were really good in the playoffs. And so I think that can be a good like drop coverage scheme type of group. Mm -hmm. And then that bench group I I see as being more uh, of a switching type of group. I have thoughts on why I really like LeBron in switching units and why uh, I think that's good from a like energy conservation standpoint too. But that's kind of, I see us forming into kind of distinct units mike i think that's really what it, what it's going to end up looking like is this is how we defend when anthony davis is on the floor and this is how we defend when he's not the less changes that we make and the more we just try to keep it the same i think the more we're going to get scored on on the bench unit
2: yeah t- totally fair point so let me let me do a little i guess this will be asking you so live producing do you, do you want me to get into a couple of names uh, in terms of where, of Austin, like I give you guys a name and you tell me if you'd rather have that player, or Austin heading into this year, oh. or do you want to save that for a separate podcast?
1: So the, the, I, I'm not, I'm not picking anybody over Austin, certainly on the air for God's sake. Um, <laughs> now, I mean, I, I know you've been wanting to rank Austin. I my do you know my thoughts on ranking? I'm not sure we've ever had, Darius, have we, we ever had a ranking show
3: on the LFR podcast? I don't think so. Ranking? <laughs> no, I was going to make a, I mean, a, a rough comment, but no.
2: <laughs> these are, the, there's there's a, so rankings to me are basically like doing all NBA, mm-hmm. right? So do you hmm. think, do you believe in doing all NBA? Like you have to, at some point, you have to at least get in a, get a, take a, a position as to where you think a player is. Um, It doesn't mean that it's scientific and, and we, the three of us aren't necessarily, well, I think we're more cl- qualified than most people um to do it but you you sound like you're not you just are against the the whole um the whole principle of ranking players
1: yeah, like you know there's that That old saying of like, comparison is the thief of joy, right? I feel that way of, uh, about rankings, yeah. Um, especially all time rankings, I think can be especially a, there's a certain degree of like, y'all are talking about this again. Like, can we please talk about something else? Well, it's part of how
2: we drive interest, right? It's uh, part of how, it's not interesting when you talk about it for the the
1: 7,000th time, like that's the opposite of interesting, you know?
2: All right, looks like we won't be playing that game uh, (laughs) for this podcast. (laughs) For more on that, you can check out my own
1: podcast. Uh, oh, <laughs> oh, man. You've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn double team. Just
3: pass out of front. Broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic. Got it. Magic fires. It's good. the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Good on the Lakers win the game
0: second That That's for the winner. It's on the right side! Toby Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in, right, in, in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me?
2: Toby Hard to believe, Are you kidding
0: me? Unreal! Are you
2: kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol. Pretty pass,
0: and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the go move. To, Two, one, miss Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's, over. it's over. And shot clock now five. Oh, yeah. Bryant. Yeah! with a little tap to alvin gentry that insult the injury kobe
2: i mean what a shot i mean you can't defend that are you kidding me 2.1 seconds remaining denver a foul to give Jokic trying to disrupt rondo he puts it in here's davis four three in the win. oh it's good anthony davis
0: has won it for the lakers
2: james again oh he hits another one lebron james putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17
3: will soon hang in the rafters.
0: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium?